Hi folks, welcome to another episode of the Epochs of the Lotus Eaters. I'm of course joined by Bo, and today we are going to be talking about the life of Admiral Horatio Nelson, uh, the famous, famous English admiral who defeated the French forces during the Napoleonic Wars and died a heroic death at the Battle of Trafalgar. Um, we're going to be talking about it from Nelson's perspective, so we're not going to talk excessively about things like Trafalgar because we've covered them in previous epochs, which you can go back and watch. Um, but anyway, so beginning with Nelson himself, and it occurs to me that I actually don't know much about the man other than the naval victories during the wars against Napoleon. Right. Okay. Like it, I don't know why I don't either, because you'd think like you would know something, but I know he was like um, a very charismatic, likable chap, very well loved by his men, and he was obviously a great admiral who could win spectacular victories. But that's all I know. Okay. Right. Yeah. Lord Nelson, first Viscount Nelson, by Sorry, the yeah, end. Yeah. I assume. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. So his career was spectacular. Hmm. He was the most famous, arguably, the most famous man of his age, as far as Britain is concerned. Hmm. Um, obviously, there's Trafalgar Square and Nelson's Column. Hmm. So, in those terms, he's even more revered than Arthur Wellesley, the Duke of Wellington. Um, and, of course, he's got that factor, that sort of John Lennon factor of dying young, yeah. Just or quick... even dying in battle. It's about the most glorious death you can have. So he's already... Hmm the most famous Navy man, and then th that happens to him in, in like the pinnacle battle. Yeah. It's sort of all the stars aligned to make your, the, the memory of your name just shine so brightly. Just a quick um, thing as well. Um, it occurs to me that the reason that Nelson would be more valued than Wellington is if we lost at sea, then we lose everything. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we lose mm -hmm. an army on the continent, that's bad. But the rest of the empire is still intact. Well, as you say, we're not going to talk about the Battle of Trafalgar all that much. Of course, it will be mentioned at the end, but we're not going to go into it in a lot of detail because we've already done that before. Um, but just to say, the Battle of Trafalgar is unbelievably important and pivotal, certainly as far as we're concerned. It yeah. set the tone for easily 100 years, more than 100 years. It uh, absolutely broke the back of the Spanish and the French Navy. It, it sort of thwarted Napoleon. Mm. in a couple of different strategic senses, just pulled out a couple of legs of his stool, yeah. so to speak. It couldn't have been more important. It's like, yeah, so that's yeah. why. You can't overemphasize um, it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because perhaps because of that, because his sort of, you know, glorious, quote, unquote, death in battle at the Battle of Trafalgar, and he's already the hero of the Navy and the nation, mm. um, that one event, that last event, um, that outshines everything else he did, sort of, in his life, unless you make an effort to go back and uh, look at his career. But yeah, his career was stellar before, before that. So where does he come from? As a, as a Norfolk boy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. The son of a, 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 a pastor or a vicar. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of fairly middle class. Normal um, guy, not peasantry, but not gentry. Yeah, yeah, pretty normal guy. I mean, I think he was he was one of the middle children of like eleven, right? Back then, yeah. um, one of the first things to say if we just kick off uh, is that he was sent to sea when he was twelve, hmm. and that is really young. 
really young. Yeah. I think that's one of the first things sort of say about the, if you're going to go down the route of sort of armchair psychology, what makes the man. Mm. Um, he said, he said later in life that um, nothing was more traumatic than that, than the first few days away from your family. Um, so he was uh, indirectly related to Robert Walpole. We did a whole epoch, didn't we, about the did. Prime Minister Robert Walpole. Uh, they were like, his family were like some cousin branch of the Walpole family. So it wasn't directly in line or anything like that. But, yeah. um, but his uncle was a captain in the Navy. Uh, Maurice Suckling was his uncle and he was a captain. So he sort of got the boy into the Navy mm. and um, sort of had him under his wing a bit. Uh, but, but yeah, Nelson himself said that... Um, yeah, later in life you have reverses and sadnesses and things that make you depressed and all that sort of thing. But nothing was more sort of traumatic than that, than being ripped away from your family like that at sort of a tender age. There's another little anecdote I think is interesting is that there used to be a, um, a little bit of a tradition that sometimes um, the boy on the ship, ship's boy, um, or even a very, very young, very, very green midshipman, Again, very young lad, sometimes like a 14-year-old or something, um, would sometimes, especially when they're fresh on the ship, would dine with the captain. It's a sort of a funny, quirky thing. Hmm. One time when Nelson was a captain himself or a commodore or an admiral at some point, much, much later in his career, or would have been an admiral, and the ship's boy was dining with him, or a, a, a midshipman, and he said to him, when, were you, when, when did you first join the Navy? And the... The boy said when I was 12 or 13, I think he said. And apparently Nelson just sort of muttered to himself, too young, too young. <laughs> so anyway, that's yeah, a sort of little... first hand, didn't it? Yeah, that's a yeah. little detail which, um, you know, it's easy to skate over or not even <clears throat> remember. But I think things like that are, can be really important for I think understanding could, the man. I think we could contextualise it by talking about what the British Navy was like in this period, because mm. as I understand it, it wasn't nearly as professional as the modern British Navy. Oh, no, no. So, the modern one, huh? Yeah, so it might be worth just giving us a bit a brief overview of what the Navy itself was actually like. Like, what were the conditions that Nelson was expected to endure? Oh, gosh. Well, there's whole books written about that. Um, I know. <laughs> um, I mean, we're talking the late eight, uh, 17th, Sorry, the late 18th century, the late 18th century when he first joined would have been the 1760s, 1770s. Um, so it's pretty brutal. In fact, different historians, different scholars um, argue a bit about that, about how mm. brutal it was. But I think there's no escaping the reality that it was pretty harsh. Yeah. It would really depend as well, ship to ship, captain to captain, how brutal it was. Um, so, for example, one of his first outings was under his own uncle. So you can imagine he had a slightly less arduous go of it. Yeah. Um, but the conditions are never good on, a, on an 18th century ship. Right, yeah. They're, not, they're never comfortable. Right, yeah. It's cold. It's going to be always wet. You're going to yeah. be working all the time. Yeah. Possibly under the threat of corporal punishment. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> you will end up encountering danger. Mm. Very often. Stinks quite often. Yep. Yeah, it's disgusting sometimes. 
often the ships would get uh, mud, tidal mud, hmm. sort of inside the keel, things like that, and it would just stink the whole time. You'd be at sea for months, maybe, hmm. and it would just stink to high heaven. And it uh, could be very brutal. You mentioned sort of capital punishment and things. Again, it would depend on the captain, but yeah, um, everything had to be uh, just so. I mean, you, you had to have strict rules on board. Yeah. And, um, and that's for the safety of everyone on board as well. Yeah. So it's not arbitrary. Like yeah. Um, but later, there's uh, the Battle of Copenhagen. One of his, one of his captains is Captain Blyer, of, and that's the famous Captain Blyer of Mutiny on the Bounty. Mm. If you know anything about that story, a captain could be a real tyrant if he wanted to. It could, it, it could be, if he wanted to be really, really horrible and mean yeah. and strict, he could be. That was one of the reasons why Nelson was so liked, is because he wasn't. Uh, you know, he was, yeah. he was strict enough. You didn't cross him or take the mickey. Yeah. But, um, but he tried to look out for his men, which a lot of them didn't. Yeah. So it was why he was so liked. Um, quite often the men, when he came back from any sort of campaign or expedition, all the crew would request that they would go, go with Nelson to his next ship, to his next command. That speaks volumes. Yeah. Quite often men just, just want to get off the ship and yeah. they don't care about the next command right. and things. Or but... I actually don't want to be with that captain again. Yeah, or actively yeah. hate the guy. I'd like to see him killed. Definitely don't want to go to sea with him again. But yeah, usually the men, or quite often if a ship, and more than once there's accounts of a ship was sort of mutinous mm. or bordering on mutiny or something along those lines, and uh, Nelson would take over command and within a day, Everyone's happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the guy, he's got the charisma to, um, yeah. to make it all work. And that's definitely a thing that comes through quickly or straight away. Mm. Um, he's very, very charismatic. Um, well, so when he's still young, a boy really, like I say, he joins when he's 12. Um, he sort of, his uncle makes sure he's posted on ships that are going to go out and do stuff and see some action. Because you could join the Navy and you get posted to a ship that just sits in port for yeah. two years or something. Or, or you get posted to a, a, like a, quite a small sloop, like a single-masted sloop, and mm. it never, it's just doing uh, coastal hopping and you never see any action. Yeah. And then you're not likely to get promoted very quickly that way. No. Whereas although it's more dangerous, physically dangerous, if you see action, you're much more likely to get promoted. Um, so fairly quickly, he's goes to the, the West Indies, i.e. the Caribbean, and the East Indies. Um, when he's still quite young, because, like I say, his uncle Suckling makes tease to it that that's the case. When he's still quite young, when he's about, I think, 14 or so, he gets put on a ship that goes to the North Pole. Now, no one had ever been to the North Pole by this point. They won't go to the North Pole for another 100 years plus. Yeah. Uh, but so there's like an expedition. Right, right, sort of a bit of a especially reinforced ice cutting early version of an ice cutter type thing, trying to force its way through the pack, through the pack ice. It goes up to the North Pole. He's involved in that. It's bloody scary. Yeah, one of the things for a, a midshipman or a very very junior lieutenant um, would be that if there were uh, small, um, the, the small rowboats mm. like going out tenders to go out somewhere. Quite often you put one of them in charge of the tender with right. like, you know, half a dozen or a dozen men or 20 men tops 
give them experience at commanding their own vessel. Mm. You know, your mm. very, very first taste of being completely in command. Yeah. So quite often you might have that. You might have a, a, a very, very a junior lieutenant who's like 16 years old. He's in charge of a dozen mm. old sea dogs on a little I, rowboat. I bet they were thrilled. <laughs> it's like the young gentleman. Yeah. Uh, he has to sort of cut his teeth at some point uh, with a taste of command. <clears throat> anyway, a couple of... Uh, couple of... Uh, well, there's one famous anecdote up in the North Pole, which someone said might not be true because um, it, might, it, it might have just been made up after he became famous, after he became the famous... Lord Nelson. That, Which is always a danger with yeah, people like this. Yeah. But out on the ice, without asking or having permission, he went out on the ice when, the, when their ship was caught in the pack ice at one point to try and hunt a polar bear. Um, Probably not true. Uh, but I mean, maybe. Um, and uh, he ran out of ammo. He only had a couple of shots. He ran out of ammo and was going to go and try and club it to death when he was recalled. Um, yeah, it was a bit... Ooh. I mean, I'll, I'll just leave that in limbo. Yeah. There, um, yeah. <coughs> I mean, there are a few stories from his childhood when he was a small child that seem to be true, and there's, there's no real doubt cast over whether they're true or not, uh, where he is one of those boys, you must have known him at primary school or something, that are just kind of fearless. Oh, yeah. Like, they actually seem to have no fear. It's not like a, a pretension. Hmm. They're not... Uh, then it's not an act. They actually have no fear. Yeah. I know, like climbing a ridiculously tall wall or something. Yeah. Um, he seemed to be one of those types of boys. Right. Um, there was one uh, story where he and one of his brothers uh, were walking to school, but it was a giant snow drift and they couldn't get through. So they turned back. And um, his, apparently his father had said to them, um, that's okay. If you don't think you can get through, you can't get through, you know, don't worry about it. But, um, but I'll leave it up to you as a, as a matter of honour whether you should try again and just, just get through. And uh, even as a small boy, he would have been under 12, and Nelson just takes that as a, a, as a challenge, really. Mm. Oh, my honour's at stake. Oh, oh well, well, then I'll keep going until I, if it kills me then. Yeah. Um, again, there's a bit of a perfect anecdote because that's sort of how he conducted himself his whole career um one thing to say fairly early on is that um he didn't have a death wish he wasn't suicidal but he was one of those officers that was just prepared to die loads mm. loads mm. um he'd send letters saying yeah oh, again yeah, we're probably going to go into action tomorrow or next week and um it's a decent chance i'm going to die decent chance i'm going to die um so and I do that dozens of times, dozens getting, and dozens of times. Getting Lord Miles vibes from this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just not that bothered um, about the death. Well, the best thing that could happen to you is to die gloriously in battle. Oh, he got what he wanted then. Yeah. All right, yeah. No wonder he died mm. in, in battle in the end, really. Um, in fact, a lot of his people said about him before he died, uh, his own men and stuff, they would say in letters, um, you know, the Admiral means to die in battle <laughs> he'll right. keep fighting the french until he dies it's that sort of very impressive well, <laughs> very yeah. honorable yeah <laughs> right um wish we had more men like him yeah yeah a handful of men like that mm. go a long way um 
naval captains of the period were supposed to be sort of suicidally aggressive and brave. That was sort of expected of you. Yeah. But that, even even among that, he was he stood out. Well, that, that that's another thing I always find remarkable about the British Navy is just how aggressive we were supposed to be on the seas. And I, I recall reading an account of um, some captain who gets recalled because it's not that he didn't win, it's he didn't win by enough uh, over the French or whoever it was. And so he'd won and he'd taken some losses and, you know, it's like, okay, well, that normally for any normal situation would be, okay, that's a victory. Fair mm. enough. Uh, but, you know, he, he didn't win by enough of a margin and therefore he was flogged or something. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I mean, I approve of these incredibly high standards, so that's quite rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. um, like, by this period, but if the, same, the, the case is true for 100 years or more before this, is that big frigates or ship of the line, first, second or third rate ship of the line or, or big frigates, they're so valuable mm. um, that if you defeat one, you quite often take it as a prize. Yeah. Um, now, if you let a prize slip through your fingers through sort of laziness or cowardice, mm. that's, a, that's a massive problem. Your whole character is in doubt. Whether you should be in the Navy is in doubt. Whether you're a traitor, actually, now. Like you didn't strain every sinew to catch up with that mm. prize ship and have a broadside engagement with it. You didn't do absolutely everything in your power. You went dying to make that happen. Well, now there's... Uh, Doubt over you and everything you do and say. Yeah, it's that it's sort of that sort that sort of thing. <coughs> um, uh, when he was young, under twenty, still he was promoted very quickly, mm. sort of as quickly as you could be, in a way. Um, again, before he's twenty, he's out uh, on the way to the East Indies in uh, around India, around, around Madras in the Bay of Bengal. Uh, he has some encounters with Hyder uh, uh, Ali's ships. Uh, so who's that? Oh, like the Tipu Sultan's father. Oh, right, right. So right. that's sort of the right, period, yeah. the generation before the Tipu. Right. Um, um, so, yeah. Um, out in the West Indies, so he sees action early on. Right. No, full-blown action. Yep. Um, out in the West Indies, in the Caribbean, and sort of the coast, the Spanish main of uh, Central and sort of Northern South America coastlines, the Spanish colonies, you're sort of all over the place. You see quite a lot of stuff go down in Jamaica, in the Caicos Islands, in British Honduras, what is now British, called British Honduras, in Nicaragua. Mm. Um, one of the things, uh, one of the sort of early adventures that's sort of fully worthy of note is uh, on Lake Nicaragua, there was a, a fort there that we'd decided we really needed to relieve the Spanish of Fault Immaculate Concepcion. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's a sort of fairly bitter fighting involved. So that's one, and another thing to mention early on about Nelson is that he's a Navy officer, but quite, quite often, if you wanted to, if you were this way inclined, a Navy officer could also just act as a Marine, mm. which is to say acting as a soldier in yeah. the Army. Um, and in fact, there's sort of a long, fairly long tradition where the, the sailors, if they needed to at various times, would just effectively fight as, as soldiers on mm. land. Um, now, Nelson loved this. That was right up his alley. 
There was a, a chance <laughs> for glory. Great. Nelson's like, that's brilliant. <laughs> One thing to say, though, is he's quite weak, physically weak. Yeah. So as a child, he was sickly hmm. a lot. He didn't have a great constitution. We talked about Wellington, didn't we? When yeah, he yeah, had yeah. a great constitution. He sort of hardly ever got sick, really. Well, Nelson was always, not always, but he would, uh, as a child and a young man, uh, be sickly and ill. Definitely need him on a boat. Right, yeah. Not the best choice. Um, You'd think. Yeah. So there's all sorts of fighting. Well, it's a good thing they've got guns, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, If he's not physically strong, at least he can fire a gun. Yeah. Um, Well, he gets ill here. Um, Certainly dysentery, but maybe on top of that yellow fever. Right. Um, And yellow fever is no joke. I mean, you can die of dysentery, but yellow fever is pretty bad. You die of that very easily as well. Um, And in fact, in the end, he is sort of so ill that he has to be sent home. Basically, he's got no other option. He's he is dying. He thinks he's going to die. Yeah, because I mean, in this time, it's totally normal to die of a strange tropical disease or dysentery, uh, because there are no vaccines, no cures, and uh, nothing else that can help. Just got to ride it out or die. I mean, the jungles of Nicaragua are uh, <laughs> among. Yeah. The worst jungles there are. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go into them now. Um, yeah. <laughs> like really, really poisonous snakes. There's one anecdote where a guy, they're walking through the jungle and a guy just get a, a snake, like, falls out of the tree and bites him on the cheek. And the guy dies of it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the ability to get sort of clean water is yeah. pretty small. And all that sort of stuff. Yeah, the fighting at, at Fort Concepcion there seems pretty bitter and the Spanish sort of did, didn't give it up easily and um, Nelson's sort of in his element a bit again one of those guys that uh, seems fairly fearless or has just um, um, resigned himself to the fact that um, he may well get killed there, and, there's uh, always there's always a percent a small percentage of men who just really enjoy that kind of thing you know and he's obviously one of them yeah, there's a bit in Band of Brothers, and there's a bit in um, in uh, Black Hawk Down, uh, both of which are taken from lots of accounts of soldiers that say um, you're going to have a really bad psychological time of it if you don't just admit to yourself you're probably already dead. Yeah. If you do that, there's loads of pressure off, mm. and actually you can start you'll get the blinkers off and you can start acting as a good soldier. If you're just terrified you're going to be killed all the time, that's no good. Yeah. Rather accept that you're, you're dead. This war you're in, this conflict you're in, is going to kill you. Mm. Um, come to some sort of terms with that. And then it's just a massive weight off your shoulders. But there's also can... like a percentage of men who genuinely enjoy the conflict. Yeah. yeah. Like who actually have fun doing it yeah. and it sounds like Nelson may have been one of those sort of rare types yeah They're like that's the thing they enjoy yeah I've uh, I've played a lot of paintball in my life <laughs> yeah right yeah same here actually like loads yeah I've loads. done quite a few. like um and uh from when I was quite young as well and mm. um for the first few years of playing paintball I'd sort of sit at the back quite a lot yeah, try and be a shot. bit scared yeah. and be worried about getting yeah. hit and stuff and at some point, just through playing it so much, I think, at some point, the fear of 
getting hit mm. um, just went away. And I remember it being like the blinkers are off. Mm. And like suddenly I can just look around with sort of clear eyes, mm. you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've had that very, very clearly with paintball. I can only imagine that happening to you in real life, in yeah. real war with live ammo. But it seems that that does, that does happen to some men. Mm -hmm. um, you know, crazy I've, to say. I, I've got an interesting paintball story. Because a friend of mine went to Sandhurst and uh, he'd been there for like two years or something. He was eventually put in charge of like four challenges in Iraq or something. Um, but um, we were going paintballing. He was the only one who had had any military training. And so we were you know, incompetent, but he basically like took command of us as a squad. He's like, basically you just have to keep moving, right? If you keep moving, you won't get shot. And it was totally true because we were like hiding behind trees or whatever. And so when, you know, you kind of pin down, but he was like, no, just move over there. And then you move over there and you move over there. And it's the constant motion that throws the enemy off. Cause I don't know, you know, like they, they can't get a bead on you basically. And I, and, and this is, these, this, this is what they do in a real war. You know, this is what, you know, they're trained to do. And it totally works. And we absolutely demolished them. <laughs> so, you know, but you had to let go. You are right. You had to let go of the fear of being shot. You know, cause you're like, oh, I don't want to go out there cause I don't want to get shot. But as soon as like you realize actually when I'm moving, I won't get shot. Then suddenly you are right. You, you suddenly have a kind of control over what's going on. And it, it, you, you lose the fear of, of being, being shot, which is, mm. You know, you are right. There is something to this, you know, because I, I played a lot of paintball as well when I was younger. And, uh, and that's the thing. I, I have a particular memory of when that sort of actually, no, mm. you know, just keep moving. He's, he's totally right. You know, but anyway. I had the same with football, actually, in a competitive game when the pressure's on. Mm. Um, when you're younger, just keep your head down and just sort of, uh, yeah, just sort of intimidated by the situation. Mm. At some point, Realised, oh no, I'll just look up all the time and yeah. just be confident on the ball. Hmm. I get the same sort of thing when I'm climbing, actually, because I don't really like heights. And so when you're like 12 feet in the air, if you look down, you can, <laughs> you can get a wave of weakness going through your arms. So you just focus exactly on what's in front of you and just get on with what you're doing. And then suddenly the whole thing just goes away and you're up and down before you know it. Sometimes you see it in fighting as well, hmm. in the, like MMA. One guy is just completely loose mm. in there or he's even smiling yeah um <laughs> nelson seems to be one of those one of those people in fact there's anecdotes a bit later i'll probably say it where he seems to be happy yeah. or having fun yeah in the midst of a battle yeah um i know i've talked about this before there is a particular archetype of men who just genuinely enjoy battle mm. yeah. uh, in have is their fun they get there was a Michael Portillo did a documentary about violence you know, a few years ago where he talked about something like 18 percent of men like just get a, a dopamine rush when they're in a fight mm. and it's totally normal you know you think it, it's evolutionary you know to of course you're going to have to you're going to need some men who enjoy battle if you want the tribe to survive and things like this and so but these these men still exist yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah um yeah, fighting in, anyway, it's a classic thing that if someone tags you, you do get, they punch you square in the face. They got you good mm. as a sort of, as a sort of defensive thing. You smile and pretend it didn't hurt. There's mm. that, but then there's other guys yeah. that it's not that. They genuinely love it. Yeah. Think of maybe Robbie Lawler or Conor McGregor, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. they, they just love it. Yeah. And yeah. they're completely relaxed yeah. in there. Yeah. 
in their element. There, yeah. Um, so anyway, seems like Nelson had that again from very early on, from the beginning, really. Mm. Um, yeah, he has to come home from uh, the West Indies with with yellow fever, um, but he does go through the ranks sort of very very quickly. You have to do an examination, go before a board, mm-hmm. and uh, one of his early ones, his uncle Maurice was on it. But he didn't, <clears throat> his uncle didn't tell the other <clears throat> senior officers that this was his nephew. Oh, really? But um, Nelson always passed with flying colours. Hmm. Um, That's lucky. Anyway, he's made a captain at the age of 20. That's incredible. Yeah. So that's not completely unheard of. He's not the youngest man in history. Sure, but still. Sometimes unusual. that happened, but it was, it was quite rare, yeah. Really and, quite rare. And if you're some 40-year-old sea dog, you're like, mm. well, I hope you're good. Apparently, in all his examinations, he just aced it every time. His, um, mm. And even at the in, even in his early 20s, much, much more senior officers would say things like, if, to each other, if you've got any questions or you're not sure about something or other, ask young Horatio. He knows. He will know. Well, that's, I mean, that's the advantage of having been on the ship since you were 12. Right, yeah, yeah. Exposed yeah. to everything. You just live years. and breathe it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like my entire education really was on the ship. Yeah. So. Sort of all I know. Yeah. And I know it inside out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's one thing to say. Um, mm. There's one account I was reading in one of the biographies where someone or other had come on board, someone, some sort of um, quite important dignitary maybe one of, the, one of our junior princes or something. And um, he said, I'd, I'd rarely ever seen such a boy of a captain. Um, uh, but there you go. Whenever, whenever it, it was a test hmm. of whether he was too young or not, he always passed it with flying colours. Hmm. Once or twice when he was so young, someone would try and sort of... Um, you know, take the, take the mickey in some way or try and say something about, you know, pipe down kid or whatever. Yeah. And uh, there's one great comeback. He said, he said, I'm the same age as the prime minister, Pitt the Younger. <laughs> I'm the same age as the prime minister. And if he can be, if he can run government, then I'm sure I can run this ship. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com. <laughs>